Welcome to Kevin Connor's podcast. This 24-part series on interpreting the book of Revelation was given at Tungling Bible College in Singapore back in 2002. Be sure to get a copy of the textbook by the same title, available from Amazon in your region in paperback and ebook formats, or as an immediate PDF download from the shop at kevinconnor.org. Okay, so uh, we've covered uh, chapter 1, 2, and 3, uh, just the high spots, and now in chapter, or section 3, in chapter 4 and 5, we'll just do a little bit of this, we just have a, a shorter session here. Uh, so the sevenfold heavenly vision that John is seeing, so uh, number 1, he sees the heavenly door, number 2, the heavenly trumpet, uh, number 3, the heavenly one in the throne, and number 4, the heavenly elders. Uh, number five, the heavenly living creatures. Number six, the heavenly sanctuary worship. And number seven, the heavenly land and the seal book. So that's the uh, uh, picture that we have here in section three. All right, so let's go to um, your notes here on page four. And uh, just comment here and then we'll pick out just some of the high spots on uh, this part here. All right, now you'll notice that uh, the chapter begins, after these things I looked, and behold, a, a door standing open in heaven. I'm just trying to find the uh, diagram I had before. All right, now, um, maybe you'd like to take a couple of these things down. Uh, out, out of um, the Companion Bible, I got this, and I think it's one of the best, uh, uh, best um, sort of, uh, outlines I've seen on Revelation. And in the Companion Bible, what the uh, writer does, Bullinger, I think it was at the time, he, he, he says that uh, one of the master keys for Revelation, let's check this out here, um, one of the master keys of the book of Revelation is for us to understand uh, the scenes that change from heaven and earth. And so he, he doesn't do this diagram, it's like this, so in, uh, in chapter 1, uh, say uh, Revelation, I'll just put it this way, uh, John is, though he's on the Isle of Patmos, he's actually seeing the Lord Jesus Christ in heavenly scene, and heaven and earth are sort of connected here. So he sees Jesus in heaven clothed in his garments of glory and beauty. But then in Revelation chapter uh, 2 and 3, he's seeing the earthly scene. So, so what Bullinger does on this, you've got to sort of understand what he calls the heaven and earth connections. So Revelation 1, heaven, and then earth, where you see the seven churches. Now, the whole scene is going to change here. And so, in chapter 4, uh, it's, it, it's a heaven scene. So he does this all the way through. That you have to sort of distinguish uh, whether it's a heaven and earth scene. That's, that's the picture. So maybe I'll just give you, um, uh, just uh, on your, on your right-hand column there, uh, just a little bit of his outline I've got here as we introduce this chapter 4. Alright, so uh, chapter 1 is the introduction, I'm quoting from Bullinger on, this, Bullinger on this companion Bible, chapter 1 is the introduction, so introducing us to Christ as the great, the great High Priest glorified in heaven, so that's chapter 1. Chapter 2 and 3, I'll try and slow down a little bit here, chapter 2 and 3, it deals with the church on earth, so chapter 1 is a heavenly scene, uh, basically, chapter 2 and 3, earthly scene, because he's looking at the seven churches. And then chapters 4 through to 10, we'll just uh, do this little part here. Chapters 4 through to 10 
basically is dealing with scenes in heaven and earth. So chapters 4 through to 10, scenes in heaven and earth. And so what we want to look at here in uh, our time is Revelation chapter 4 now takes us to heaven. And Revelation chapter 5 is also a heaven, heavenly scene. Chapter 6, which we'll put here and then we'll just hold this part. Chapter 6, he comes to earth and sees the seven seals that begin to open, affecting earth. So that's the main thing to pick up. Chapter 1, heavenly scene, Christ in his garments of glory and beauty. Chapter 2 and 3, earthly scene, the seven churches uh, in Asia. Chapter 4 and 5, John is caught up in the spirit. That's what I want you to pick up. So go to your notes here uh, on page 4. And we'll just, uh, on, on number 1, the heavenly door. So in, in this chapter we're taught, after these things, after what things? After I saw the sevenfold condition of the churches, after these things. So they're the things he's talking about, after these things. And behold, a door standing open in heaven. New King James says, a door standing. Now, there are some expositors, and I won't spend too much on time on this. There are some expositors who say that this door open in heaven is the rapture. Okay, now the problem with that is... Um, uh, turn over to Revelation chapter 4 if you can. This is where you need a big long table. Open the Bible. Okay. Um, chapter 4. And this is where I need a third hand. Okay, so chapter 4 and verse 1 I'm, I'm uh, reading. So after this, after you'd seen the seven churches, I looked and behold, a door was opened in heaven. So the sea now changes, we might say, from the holy place where Jesus ministered to the seven golden candlesticks or the lampstands. Uh, he actually goes into the holy place, heaven's most holy place, where he sees the throne, which corresponds to the Ark of the Covenant, the throne of the Lord. And I'll, I'll tell you why. Um, I was looking for my diagram before. Uh, just keeps turning my Bible over. Okay, let, let's let's go back here. I want to have that diagram. So John has come from this holy place scene where we see the seven gold lamps. Now in chapter four, he actually enters heaven's holiest of all, the third heaven, and he sees the throne of God, which corresponds to the Ark of the Covenant. And the reason I say that is this: there are two. In Revelation chapter 4 and 5, which we're introducing now, there are two key words. In chapter 4, uh, the word throne is used at least, chapter 4 and 5, pardon me, the word throne is used 18 times. Please note this. In chapters 4 and 5, the word throne. So, first key word is the word throne. Translated seats uh, for the 24 hours, but same Greek word, thronos. Uh, the word thrown used at least 18 times and uh, it connects with chapter 3 because the greatest promise to the overcomer was to him that overcomes I'll grant to sit with me in my throne even as I've, I've overcome and sit with the Father in his throne. So the throne promise. Now that's, that closes up chapter 3 to the latest in church. Now chapter 4 from the promise of the throne John is caught up in the spirit and sees the throne in heaven. And the word throne, as I said, is used at least 18 times 
in chapter 4 and chapter 5. That gives you the key. So it's the most holy place, the, the holiest of all, heaven's holiest of all, heavenly sanctuary of which the earthly sanctuary, the tabernacle of Moses, was only a, a shadow on earth, but the heaven's sanctuary, and John's calling it the most holy place. So from the holy place to the holiest of all, uh, heaven's, uh, heaven's, uh, heaven's sanctuary, that's it. The second key word is this, and it's the word book. We'll deal with this uh, in another session. And the word book is used at least um, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. I think it's used about eight or ten times the word book. So pick up the key words. So the key words in chapter four and chapter five is the word throne used eight times, and the word book used I think eight to ten times. So the throne and the book. That gives you the key. Once you find the key word, so John is seeing the throne and the book. Now the reason I say that this is heaven's holiest of all, when I go back to the Old Testament, and, and we'll deal with this more fully in another session, but when I go back to the Old Testament, God said to Israel that in the Feast of Tabernacles, which was the Feast of the Seventh Month, they were to go to the Ark of the Covenant, which was God's throne in earth, and they were to take the book out of the Ark of the Covenant, so associated somehow, I don't know the exact details, but there was the book in the uh, associated with the Ark of the Covenant in the side of the Ark somehow. And so we have the Ark and the book, or the throne and the book, that's it. So John is seeing the ultimate fulfillment of this, he sees the throne and the book. So once you get those keys, they sort of become um, interpretive keys, Keys of understanding, keys of interpretation of, uh, of the scene that we're looking at here. Alright, so the heavenly door, so the scene changes from heaven to earth. Alright, now, I haven't got time to spend on this, but I would disagree uh, with those who say that this uh, trumpet here is the, is the rapture trumpet. I'll tell you why. Uh, briefly, we pick it up uh, later on. Also, is that... Um, Jesus, or Paul, Paul, pardon me, he's the one that refers to the last trumpet. And in the book of Revelation, we have a number of trumpets. So Revelation chapter 1, John's in the spirit of the Lord, so I hear the voice of a trumpet. Revelation chapter 4, verse 1, he hears the same voice as it were of a trumpet. And when you get to Revelation chapter 8, we see seven angels with seven trumpets. And it's not until you get to Revelation chapter 11, where the seventh trumpet sounded. So there's all these trumpets yet to sound, and if you want to put down this reference, Numbers chapter 28 and verse 1, Numbers 28 verse 1, we're told, uh, and this may help us here, okay, this may help us here, uh, trying to cover so much. If we, if we put the New Testament this way, this is how it goes. In the, in, the, in the history of Israel, we'll never understand these things without understanding so much of history, uh, Israel's history. So in Israel's history, they would have had the three feasts of the Lord. Three feasts of the Lord. The first feast was the Feast of Passover. And that was held in the first month. Then the second feast was the Feast of Pentecost. And that was held in the third month. And then, so let's put it this way, Passover first month, Pentecost third month. Then there were several months, month four, five, and six were dry months. 
nothing particular happened. But then in the seventh month, there was the great Feast of Tabernacles. Now in the Feast of Tabernacles, there were three parts to it. Number one, on the first day of the seventh month, there was the blowing of trumpets. Okay, so the blowing of trumpets, right throughout the land there was the Feast of Trumpets. Number two, on the tenth day of the seventh month, there was the Day of Atonement. Okay, so the Great Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, as the Jews call it today, the Day of, uh, of Atonement. And then the third part of the Feast of Tabernacles was the Feast of Ingathering which was the final harvest, the ultimate harvest. Jesus says the harvest is the end of the age. Okay, let me move over this side for those who can't see through me on that side. <laughs> so Feast of Tabernacles, first day of the seventh month was the blowing of trumpets. Tenth day of the seventh month was the Day of Atonement. And the third part of the Feast of Tabernacles was the Feast of Ingathering, the final harvest. Now, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11 and verse 13, Matthew 11 verse 13, he said, Think not that I am come to destroy the law and the prophets. I am not come to destroy but to fulfill. Oh, sorry. Wrong passage. Matthew 5 verse 17 and 18. Matthew 5 verse 17 and 18. Think not that I am come to destroy the law and the prophets. I am not come to destroy but to fulfill. He said, Not one tittle of the law will pass until all be fulfilled. Matthew 11 13 which I've already given you, says this. The law and the prophets were until John, but he said the law and the prophets prophesied. So, well, I know the prophets prophesied, otherwise they wouldn't be prophets. <laughs> but he said the law prophesied. So these things, Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles, were given under the law. So Jesus said the law prophesied, the prophets prophesied, until John. And he says, since that time, the kingdom. So, the law of the prophets until John, since that time, the kingdom. So, John came saying, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus said, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So, what we've got, Jesus' words, he divides it this way. The law and the prophets were until John, since that time, the kingdom. So, that's the order. The law, the prophets, the kingdom. Repent, the kingdom of us is at hand. You've got to be born again to enter the kingdom. So, the law and the prophets. Now, the law prophesied, the prophets prophesied until John since then the kingdom. Now, when Jesus came, he has to fulfill all the intricate details, those little jots and tittles that we don't think mean much. He has to fulfill them all. So, what do we see? In the Gospels, here you can put it down, in the Gospels, we see Jesus fulfilling the Feast of Passover. That's what the Gospels are all about. Matthew, Mark, Luke and John fulfilling the Feast of Passover, the Gospels. Book of Acts and the Epistles fulfilling the Feast of Pentecost. So Jesus in the Gospels, Holy Spirit in the Book of Acts and the Epistles all written to Pentecostal churches, if you please. So Acts and the Epistles. So Passover has been fulfilled historically. Pentecost has been fulfilled historically. It has to be fulfilled personally. So when a person receives Christ as the Passover lamb, that's their Passover. When they receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues, that's their Pentecost. But what about the Feast of Tabernacles? And most expositors don't know what happened to the feast. And they say, well, I don't know what to do with Tabernacles. 
give it to the Jews. <laughs> Anything you don't like, give it to the Jews. And if the Jews don't want it, put it in the millennium. So the millennium sort of become the trash can to put all the scriptures you don't know what to do with in there. While I'm rushing in there, pulling out of there the scriptures that belong to us. And we've been robbed over the years by Dr. Schofield, who is dead and knows better now. <laughs> and if you've got Schofield Bible, I've got one too. Okay. So this is church history. We have the historical fulfillment of Passover, historical fulfillment of Pentecost, and then we have these dry months of church history where everything was dry, no rain, nothing. Well, now the church is fulfilling Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles. And you see, Book of Revelation, there are only two books in the New Testament that primarily deal with the Feast of Tabernacles. Number one is the Book of Hebrews. And what's Hebrews built on? I mean, a lot of things, but... The major thing that the book of Hebrews is built on is the Day of Atonement. That's there. Book of Hebrews. And the Day of, the day of Atonement and how Jesus has entered into the heavenly tabernacle with his own blood. So you can't understand Hebrews without tabernacle. It's the same thing. And then in the book of Revelation, along with Paul's epistles, we have trumpets, 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 trumpets. Feast of Trumpets. Then also, Revelation deals with the final ingathering, the final harvest, and Jesus said, the harvest is the end of the age. So we are living a decade of harvest, final ingathering, souls out of every kingdom, tongue, tribe, and nation. That's the picture. So no use dumping the Feast of Tabernacles in the millennium or give it to the unconverted Jew. It belongs to the church. Passover belongs to us. Pentecost belongs to us. Tabernacles belongs to us. Everybody said amen? amen. The rest of you said oh me? <laughs> okay. So, so what, I'm, what did I say all that for? I said all that to say this. That Revelation chapter 4 cannot be the rapture trumpet when the church has not fully experienced the feast of trumpets. So there's a lot of other trumpets to, to be sounded. And personally I believe the church is living in the feast of trumpets today. Though in some places it's uncertain sound. I believe the church is looking for a day of atonement, a final gathering that the church had seen. Revelation is the book of sevens. And in the Feast of Tabernacles, it was the seventh month. And all the sacrifices, there are more sevens in the Feast of Tabernacles than all the rest of the feasts put together. Because it's fulfilled in the book of Revelation, the book of sevens. That's the, that's the picture that we have. Okay? Alright, so... So, you've got two different schools. One school says, Revelation 4 is the rapture trumpet. My school, and those who belong to my school say, no, it's the blowing of the Feast of Trumpets further. Chapter 1, trumpets to the churches. Chapter 4, trumpet concerning the book. Oh, one other thing I need to say on this. How many think you need to read your Bible more? Because even after all my years, the more I know, the less I know. Because you'll never exhaust what's in this. I had one brother in New Zealand tell me years ago, I've exhausted the Bible. I said, no, you haven't. The Bible's exhausted you. Because <laughs> you'll never exhaust what's in this book. If you could exhaust this, you could exhaust the author. You never will. He's inexhaustible. I mean, his word, every word. Yeah. So what did I say all that for? I said that to say this. <laughs> I forgot. <laughs> I'm still a smart cookie. It's a 
This book that I talked about was to be opened in the Feast of Trumpets. So here we are with the Feast of Trumpets, and John is caught up in the Spirit, he sees the throne, and he sees a book that needs to be opened to the church. That's it. That's the picture. Right. I fasted many, many days to get all that in between meals. <laughs> all right, now, so on your notes on page four, we have the heavenly door. So what you should have got there, hopefully, is the scene is changed now from earth, the earthly scene concerning the church, has gone to a heavenly scene. Okay, number two, what you should have got on there, hopefully, is the heavenly trumpet. It's the Feast of Trumpets. In the seventh month, on the first day of the month, there will be the blowing of trumpets. So, as I understand it, Feast of Trumpets. All right, number three, the heavenly one in the throne. And I'm giving you that on the throne being mentioned 18 times. So the throne being mentioned 18 times. Now, just before we wrap up here, I want you to turn over, uh, uh, turn over your Bible, don't you turn over. <laughs> I know some of you are turning over. <laughs> I told you this was good brainwashing you. Best brainwashing you can get. I want you to turn over to uh, uh, the Book of Kings, I think it is. Let's see where I am. Start turning it anyway. Start turning over to Kings or Chronicles. <laughs> yeah, let's turn over to Second Chronicles. Okay, Second Chronicles. And uh, just a few more minutes before we uh, finish for our day here. Let's turn over to Second uh, Chronicles, chapter nine. I want to give you uh, sort of two passages of scripture just for our, our last uh, number of moments here. Second Chronicles chapter 9 and uh, verses 17 to 19. Okay, verse 17 to 19. 2 Chronicles 9, 17 to 19. Moreover, the king made a great throne. Now, this is what I want you to connect. John is seeing a throne. He's not seeing the lampstand now. He's seeing the throne. Throne in heaven. Uh... Uh, the king, this is Solomon, referring to a great throne of ivory, made, made a great throne of ivory, and overlaid it with pure gold, and there were six steps to the throne, with a footstool of gold, which was fastened to the throne, and stays on each side of the sitting place, two lions standing by the stays, and twelve lions stood there on the one side and on the other, uh, other upon the six steps. There was not the like made in any kingdom. Oh, I'd go over to the corresponding passage, First uh, Kings, First Kings. First Kings uh, chapter 10, corresponding uh, uh, passage, First Kings chapter 10, and I'll pick up in verse 18. Moreover, the king made a great throne of ivory and overlaid it with the best gold. The throne had six steps, and the top of the throne was round behind, and there were stays on either side of the place of the seat, and two lines stood beside the stays, 
And twelve lines stood there on the one side and on the other, other upon the six steps. There was not the like made in any kingdom. Now, Brother, Brother Patterson is going to be with the Lord. He did an excellent study on this. So I want to finish with this today. But I'd like you to take a little bit of an outline I've got here. Okay, about the throne. Now, this is what I want to get across here. We're, uh, I hope I've communicated about the golden lampstands, the church, and Christ the high priest. Have I communicated on that? You've got the general gifts. Now we're going to a heavenly scene, and we're going to see a throne. And, and what we have to hold in our heart here, as John does, wow, God is sovereign. God's on his throne. He rules over all. The judgments are going to start affecting the earth now, as I said. Where did I say it? Somewhere. When your judgments are in the earth, the inhabitants of the world will learn righteousness. So God's judgments are about to begin. The breaking open, the seals, the trumpets, the bowls of wrath, great tribulation period and all that type of thing. So John needs to be secure as we do. Look, God's throne is over all. The thrones of earth may rise and fall and topple, but there's a throne that will never be shaken. How many glad for that? So John has to have that security. The saints have to have it. God's on his throne. God is sovereign. Nothing's going to shake his throne. Thrones of men and governments rise and fall. But the kingdom of God, the government of God is over all. That's, that's in my heart. That's in your heart. It's settled. Nothing changes that. So he needs to get this vision of the throne. 18 times it's mentioned. Before he looks at the book, which we'll do tomorrow, but before he looks at the book, we're going to look at this throne. So I want to take a picture of Solomon's throne and just give you a bit of an outline just before we uh, split the scene. All right, so number one, Solomon, his throne, pointing to the throne of God. Number one, Solomon was a prince and king of peace. I want to take Solomon's throne. Solomon's name means peace or peaceable. So Solomon, number one, the prince and king of peace. Solomon's name means peace or peaceable. And Jesus is the prince of peace and king of righteousness and king of peace. So number one, Solomon was prince of peace, king of peace, pointing to Jesus, who is the prince of peace and king of righteousness and king of peace. Number two, try not to go too fast here, but number two, we're told that Solomon sat on the throne of the Lord. So Solomon's throne was actually a picture of the throne of the Lord. First Chronicles chapter 29 and verse 23. So number two, Solomon sat on the throne of the Lord. So Solomon's throne was actually the throne of the Lord. First Chronicles chapter 29 and verse 23. First Chronicles 29, 23. Number three, we're told in those scriptures I read to you, Solomon's throne was a great throne. There was no throne like it in all the earth. It was the great throne. So there's no throne like the throne of God. It is the greatest throne in the universe. So number three, Solomon's throne was a great throne. Number four, Solomon's throne was a unique throne. And by that, in both those passages, it says there was no throne in any kingdom like it. So on all the kingdoms of the world, there was no throne like the throne of Solomon. So God's throne is a unique throne. So as John is caught up in the spirit of heaven, he sees one in the throne. He needs to see that one in the throne. It's the throne of the universe, a unique throne. 
Uh, Revelation chapter 22 and verse 1 and 2. Revelation 22 verse 1 and 2. It is finally referred to as the throne of God and the Lamb. So God and the Lamb. He that overcomes will sit with me in my Father's throne. The throne of God and Lamb. Co-eternal. Number five. Solomon's throne was made of ivory. What does ivory symbolize? Where does ivory come from? It comes from the death of an animal. And ivory symbolizes purity and holiness. So ivory symbolizes purity and holiness. Very precious, precious ivory is costly. Put down Psalm 45 and verse 8 to 10. Psalm 45, 8 to 10. And it speaks in that psalm about Jesus, who's the king, coming from the ivory palaces. I used to sing it many years ago, out of the ivory palaces, into this world of woe. Only his great eternal love made my Savior go. Yeah, how many love Jesus this morning? Just appreciate his so wonderful. Number six, Solomon's throne was overlaid with gold. And gold speaks of deity, divinity, the divine nature. So Solomon's throne was overlaid with pure gold. So divinity, divine nature. Number six. Seven. Number seven. This is quite uh, amazing in those passages I read you. There were six steps to the throne. Think of that. You can find it in your room here. So here, one, two, three, four, five, six steps brought you to the throne. 6,000 years of church history brings us back to the throne of God. Six steps. We could spend a lot of time on that. The six dispensations. Six. Number six and seventh step brings you to the throne. So number seven, six steps to the throne. We think of the six days of God in creation, the six days of God working in redemption step by step. Number eight, it had a footstool of gold. Solomon's throne had a footstool. And you know what the Bible says, Isaiah chapter 66 and verse 1. Isaiah 66 verse 1. The heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. That's why when Russia sent a guy into orbit, they said, well, when we were flying around Earth in our Sputnik, we never said, saw God. I like what one American brother said. I'll tell you why. Because heaven is God's throne and Earth is his footstool. When you were flying around, God just lifted his foot. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, you would have got a kick and ran smack into it. I like that, don't you? Yeah, the earth is my footstool, so God just lifted his foot. Oh, they didn't fly around. Number eight, just about through. Number eight, no, number nine, that's right. Okay. Number nine, this is interesting. It had two lions by its supports there, by its stays. In, in the passage we read, two lions, one on the right hand, one on the left hand. Two lions, and the lion is king of the beasts, 
And these two lines represent the two witnesses, because remember when uh, Peter and John's mother asked Jesus, look, when you come into your kingdom and you come on your throne, can my two sons sit on the right hand and on the left? And Jesus said, hey, sorry, none of your business. That, that, those places are reserved for two other people from my father. I believe they represent the two witnesses in Revelation chapter 11. And then the final point here, number 10, is there were not only those two lines on those two steps, there were 12 lines, two on each step of those steps to the throne. Two. The 12, sorry. Yes, 12 lines, two on each step. Yeah, one, this one. Pointing to the 12 apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ, the 12 apostles of the Lamb. What a tremendous picture. So when anybody came to that throne, the throne of Solomon, the Queen of Sheba came to that throne, what a glorious throne it was. Ivory, overlaid with gold, these two lines here, 12 lines here, six steps to the throne. What a glorious throne and the wisdom. While well, the throne of Solomon is nothing compared to that throne that we find the throne of grace. And then say amen. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, we just thank you for our time together this morning. Lord, yeah, Lord, my heart, our hearts just get overwhelmed just with the glory of your inexhaustible word. Every word is like a seed inspired by the Holy Spirit. Help us to value your word. Help us to have a hunger and a passion over your word, Lord. Uh, Lord, not only the written word, but the written word to bring us to him who is the living word. Bless us all, Lord, now as we go our separate ways and our various responsibilities. May we come back quickened by the Holy Spirit for our sessions tomorrow. Thank you, Father. Bless those who are doing the sessions tonight. Uh, just enlarge our spiritual uh, capacity, Father, just to receive of the seed of the incorruptible seed of the Word of God. And Father, we give you all the praise and the glory. We love your Word. We thank you for your Word. We believe your words inspired by the Holy Spirit. Help us never to despise it, Father, but have a passionate hunger for your inexhaustible Word. We ask in the wonderful name of our Lord Jesus Christ that everybody said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being such a good bunch this morning. Be sure to visit kevinconnor.org for more information about Kevin, his books and his ministry.